Well, good morning, church. I feel like I'm in um, Sedaris Got Talent or something, and this is an audition. Uh, <laughs> uh, no pressure. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited, super happy to be here this morning. Um, we are reading Psalm 101. Um, so let's just open our Bibles. We have some Bibles in the back seats there. Um, and we can turn to page 526, starting at the bottom right. 101, and it says, the title there is A Vow of Integrity, a Psalm of David, and we're just going to read through it together um, before I just dive in. Uh, yeah. Verse 1, I will sing of faithful love and justice. I will sing praise to you, Lord. I will pay attention to the way of integrity. When will you come to me? I will live with a heart of integrity in my house. I will not let anything worthless guide me. I hate the practice of transgression. It will not cling to me. A devious heart will be far from me. I will not be involved with evil. I will destroy anyone who secretly slanders his neighbor. I cannot tolerate anyone with haughty eyes or an arrogant heart. My eyes favor the faithful of the land so that they may sit down with me. The one who follows the way of integrity may serve me. No one who acts deceitfully will live in my palace. The one who tells lies will not be retained here to guide me. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land, wiping out all evildoers from the Lord's city. How encouraging. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well, I aptly titled my sermon today, Integrity 101. So welcome to the class, guys. This is the basic Integrity 101 class. Um, and I kind of love that I get to preach this. Um, but very honest with you guys, I hated it at the very beginning when I first read it. I was so overwhelmed. But as the way of God is, he works in funny and humorous ways. Um, and I just want to say, if you've been here this whole summer season, you know that we're doing the fun little thing. Um, after every service where we just turn the little bingo ball machine and pop out the psalm number that's to preach for next Sunday. Um, and I just want to note that I've really been enjoying um, the fact that we as a community has uh, leaned into new ways of um, just testing to see if what the Bible says is true. Um, that no matter what circumstance or context, God's word is alive, living, and active. Amen? That no matter what cadre we've been paired in or cohort we've been paired in, through the Spirit, we can connect deeper and in more profound ways. That by His blood, we have been reconciled with God and with one another, and we can experience life and life to the fullest that Jesus promises. I am just so, so thankful that we're a church that not only proclaims that that's what we believe in, but we're not content to leave it at that. We want to actively pursue experiencing it. And we'd be lying if, if we said it came easy for us, right? In this day and age, especially here in Seattle, um, it's much easier to keep within the comforts um, of our own homes, of our own um, inner circles, than to attempt to, f to form any newer or deeper connections. It's challenging, but it's not impossible. <laughs> Because this is where we get a chance to experience God in deeper ways, to truly recognize that his word is true, his spirit is alive in us. When we say, God, I'm going to um, 
partner with you in these different rhythms and different ways to experience life. I'm saying, God, I desire to experience something new and real, but I need your help to get started. Help me trust in your ways. Help me taste and see that you are good. Matthew 1, 26 says, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And the reason I feel so strongly, so convicted to share that in this season is because I truly believe that God is calling our church, our community to lean into these deeper things, to discover new truths about who God is and who we are. I believe he desires to transform us from glory to glory, to reveal his plans and purposes in our lives. I see it happening every day. And the more I dive into Psalm 101 and wrestled with it, the more I discovered that God is not about just telling us what to do and leaving us there, where we're just helpless. Nor is he into just letting us live in such a way that we don't need him. He desires to do a mighty work within us, within our families, within our communities, within our church, within our world. And it takes us saying yes and partnering with him. I believe he's calling us higher and deeper, and I believe he's not going to stop. We've just, we're just getting started. The Holy Spirit's work in our life is to sanctify us, set us apart, preserve us, and at the end of time, present us to Jesus as his beautiful, spotless bride. And the Holy Spirit will not stop until that day comes. And I'm so excited. Someone asked me, as I was sharing, I might be preaching. I didn't know at that time. I wasn't sure. But I was like, I might be preaching again in the summer. And um, she asked me, so what psalm do you think you're going to get? And I was so confident, you guys. I was like, I'm going to get a psalm about worship and praise and all things encouraging. Because Ryan's got a psalm that he likes. And Dave's got a psalm that he likes and fits their personality. So obviously, getting ahead of God here, trying to control the situation in and out. I'm like, it's going to be about worship. And I, I got it. I got it. And the moment came, the psalm popped out of the goblet of fire, and the psalm was chosen for me. And it's like, Psalm 101. And I was like, what is that? I read it, and I go, okay, verse 1, all right, I'll sing to the Lord. Yeah, not bad. Verse 2, I'll behave wisely in a perfect way, okay. Um, when will you come to me, Lord? Great. And I, and I just kept reading on, and I realized, oh, my goodness, this is, this is a serious vow, that David is saying that he vows to walk with integrity. And the last verse talks about every morning the wicked being destroyed. That's the least encouraging thing to read for me. And I was floored. I was like, God, I can't preach this. This is for Pastor Dave to preach. He loves preaching about truth and integrity. Or, or Ryan, he's the man for the job. He loves preaching about righteousness and the justice of God. I can't preach this because I'd be a hypocrite standing up here telling people how to live according to these standards when I myself, I'm struggling, I'm imperfect, and I fall short. I went on and on to God about all the ways that I failed to live up to the standard, and I'm not qualified to share this message that I'm sharing right now. But God began to open my eyes. He said, this, these words are challenging you for a reason, Ty. And to run from it is to rob myself of discovering the richness of his truth and the grace of which he wants to reveal working within me. Instead of running from the discomfort I decided to lean in and allow the word to convict me, to cleanse me. I asked the Holy Spirit to comfort me, to teach me. 
And now I'm standing here with a renewed mind and a renewed hope, with the only confidence of which I can stand on, Christ and his finished work on the cross. And this is my hope for us this morning, that as we read through the Psalms, that we too would be convicted and cleansed and comforted by the Holy Spirit, and that we would begin to understand the gift of grace that is in Jesus Christ, and be empowered to say, God, not my will be done, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so with that, let's jump into the passage with the context, because that's how you're supposed to start every preaching, is the context. What is Psalm 101 all about? Well, in my readings, there's this guy named Alexander McLaren, and I think I have the quote here. He's a Scottish Baptist minister in the early 1900s, and he summarizes the context of the, the psalm aptly. He says, he... King David had but recently ascended the throne. The abuses and confusions of Saul's last troubled years had been reformed. Years had to be reformed. The new king felt that he was God's viceroy, 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 that's the word. And here declares what he will strive to make his monarchy, a copy of God's. James Montgomery Boyce says... I was startled to find that Martin Luther had done an exposition of the psalm that ran to 80 pages. Don't worry, guys. Mine is only 40, okay? The reason I discovered is that he was deeply concerned about civil government and wanted to expound the psalm as a listing of qualities towards which every Christian prince or magistrate should strive. Lastly, Warren Wiersbe called the psalm Leadership 101. And this song is basically a song of a king determined to rule in righteousness and integrity of heart, determined to reign in uprightness by living according to God's good and perfect standard. And as believers today, I believe we can use this psalm as a prayer, as an instrument of which we can use to check our hearts, the state of our souls, and as a guide of which we are called to uphold our lives and live by as people of God through his grace by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. And since this passage only has eight verses, as a cheat code of sorts, I just broken it down to eight characteristics of a heart with integrity. Are we ready? <laughs> well, verse 1 to 4 reveals David's declarations of the inner workings of integrity in our hearts. And from verse 5 to 8, it reveals the outer workings of integrity in David's world. And so we could apply this in our lives today. Let's jump into verse 1. The first characteristic, verse 1 says, I will sing of faithful love and justice. I will sing praise to you, Lord. A heart, the first characteristic is a heart with integrity is a heart that worships a God who is faithful and just. David says, I will sing twice. And to sing is to proclaim that God is of highest authority. He's saying, I declare that I am accountable to God who is merciful, who is faithful and steadfast in his love for me. I am accountable to God who is just. He says, he has the final say on what is right and true and perfect in all of his judgments. To sing is to celebrate that that is who God is. And that is the God that David worships and strives to follow. And it's upon these two attributes of God, the God of mercy and justice, that David begins to build the foundation of a life filled with integrity and is also the source of which it flows from. This is the cry of David's heart. 
Verse 2, the second characteristic. I will pay attention to the way of integrity. When will you come to me? Other translations say, when will you come to me, O Lord? I will live with a heart of integrity in my house. The second characteristic is this. A heart with integrity is dependent on God and his wisdom. Here we see David's determination that his reign would be one marked by integrity and godliness, beginning with himself in his own heart. Sandwiched between these two declarations is a plea for God to come to him. David's longing for the Lord is connected to his longing to live a wise and holy life. David is someone that knows who, who's left on his own devices, would it not, um, he wouldn't be able to handle um, living this kind of life. He needs assistance. David is one that knows that he needs God and is dependent upon God and his grace. He's relying on God to come. He's relying on his presence to be near, to be intimate with him. To walk with integrity is not to say that your walk is flawless and perfect, but that you live your life consistently reliant upon God. And as David mentions, one of the most difficult but most foundational places we live out a heart of integrity is in our own homes. All right, get ready. This one hurt me. This one really cut me when I read it. <laughs> Theologian Adam Clark says, It is easier for most men to walk with a perfect heart in church or even in the world than in their own families. How many are as meek as lambs among others when at home there are wasps or tigers? Rawr. Ouch. That was painful for me. I don't know about you guys. F.B. Meyer said, Understand that in the home life, God is educating and training you for the greatest victories. There you are learning the deepest lessons of sanctification. You need not run to conventions, sermons, and holiness meetings. If you would resolve to walk in your house with a perfect heart, you would discover how far from perfect you are and how you are the least of, of his saints. It is so easy. The truth, of it, it, the truth is it is so easy in our own homes to take for granted the grace we're constantly shown in the relationships that are closest to us. Pastor Dave always likes to say this to me. Familiarity breeds contempt. It's easy and it's so quick for us to say yes to the frivolous things, but so quick for us to say no to the things of God, whether it be relationships, expectations, or commitments. It's so easy for us to say yes to the world, and it takes us such a long time to consider saying yes to the things of God. There's a printing guy down in U District. Shout out to Sully if you are watching this. But he said to me the other day, I was waiting <clears throat> very patiently in a long line in the queue. And finally, it was my turn after 10,000 years. And he was like, thanks for waiting. You're so patient, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, it's fine. And he said this to me, which is so weird, but it's so wise. He said, you know, there's a rule on how long you should wait for someone. If you're waiting on a stranger, it's about half an hour to 45 minutes, if it's an acquaintance between 10 to 15 minutes, and if it's the one that, you, if it's your loved ones, then five minutes and you're gone, you're out. <laughs> and it's annoying, but it's true. We have so much patience for so many other things of the world, and yet when it comes to the people that we love, when it comes to God, we're so impatient. 
This is why a 10-minute devotional with God in the morning will never be enough. We need him every hour, every minute, every second of our lives, especially when it comes to walking with integrity in our own homes. It's in the home that we begin to be reliant on the Spirit, asking him, teaching, asking to teach us to be slow to anger and quick to forgive. It is where we truly are called to bear the fruits of the Spirit that it promises to produce in our lives. Love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. It starts in our hearts. It starts in our homes. Verse 3, the third characteristic. Verse 3 says, I will not let anything worthless guide me. I hate the practice of transgression. It will not cling to me. The third characteristic, a heart with integrity hates wickedness. The word worthless here can be translated to wickedness in the, in the verse, as well as the word transgression. And wickedness is defined as having no restraint, someone doing whatever they want with zero regard to those around them, doing nothing of lasting significance basically worthless things. In other translations, it says, I will not put before my eyes a matter of unstraint or wickedness, or I will put no worthless thing before my eyes. To keep a heart of integrity is to guard the eyes. What we see with our eyes influences our souls. It influences our spiritual life. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. You might be thinking, as, as I was at the back of your head, well, I know that David fail, failed in this regard later on his, in his life, but we'll get to that a little later. He goes on to say, I hate the practice of transgression. It will not cling to me. David is saying, I won't let it stick. I won't let it grab hold of my thoughts. I won't agree with it. I won't conform to it. I believe David hated wickedness because he saw it with his own eyes. He saw the effects um, of wickedness during Saul's reign as king. Today we see wickedness all around us. It's not hard to find, but do we hate it as much as David did? In the first half of so uh, Proverbs 8.13, it says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. We say we fear the Lord, but do we hate evil? Fourth characteristic verse 4. A devious heart will be far from me. I will not be involved with evil. The fourth characteristic is this. A heart with integrity is not devious. And to be honest with you, I was like, what is the definition of devious? And so I googled it. And there are two definitions. First is showing a skillful use of underhanded tactics to achieve goals. And the second is taking a longer and less direct than, most straightforward, than the most straightforward way. To simply put, a devious heart is one that does not trust in God's way and instead seeks to find shortcuts and ways around attaining what, is, what it desires. A devious heart says... Not your will, God, but my will be done my way. So what's the opposite of devious? Does anyone know? Because I'm really curious. There is the opposite of devious. Can anyone guess? 
I know, right? I was like, correct, right, straight. Again, thank you, Google. <laughs> Apparently, the opposite of, of devious is above board. Did anyone know this? Above board. And above board basically means this, to be real, to be honest, and to be open. Again, a heart of integrity is not necessarily a heart that is perfect and flawless, but it is a heart that is open and honest and real. A heart that is real with yourself, is real with the people around you, and is real with, with God. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? When it comes to discernment or judging the th truth about a matter, whether it's about a situation or a person, like David, it's always good to first question your own heart. He wrote this in Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David lived with integrity in his heart because he was constantly open to God searching it. He would say things like, God, if I truly sin, then punish me. If it is really my fault, then, then chastise me. I deserve it, God, and you are just, and all these other ways that he talks about own, owning up to his shortcomings. And I ask myself, am I as bold as David when I come to God and ask him to search me? And if he shows something within me, am I ready to say, okay, God, cut me, <laughs> cleanse me, trim me, punish me? David says in some Psalms. How often are we quick to go to God with a matter and ask him to deliver us from all these other things, but not asking him to deliver us from our own hearts, our own devious hearts? Do we ask him, Lord, what is my true motivations here? What if I'm the problem? Hi, it's me, I'm the problem, it's me. It's unraveling. But am I not being honest with myself? Am I not being honest in this relationship? God, am I not being honest with you? John 16, 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And the Bible promises that where truth is, there is freedom. I encourage us to Go deeper <laughs> in our prayers with God as, he, as we ask him to seek us, oh God. Search my heart, oh God. And reveal to me, is there any wicked way in me? Is there any pride in me? Is there anything that is hindering me from seeing the truth, from seeing the perspective that you see? God, deliver me from me. Verse 5, I will destroy anyone who secretly slanders his neighbor. I cannot tolerate anyone with haughty eyes or an arrogant heart. A heart with integrity hates slander and pride. That's the fifth characteristics. And now David is transitioning into the outworkings of integrity. He's specifically talking against slander and pride. 
David is definitely one who has experienced the effects of slander. We, we hear that in so many of Dave's, Pastor Dave's, um, and also David's uh, psalm. His whole life was riddled with the constant torment of his enemies slandering him. You can read in so many psalms how much it affected his life. In some moments, it made him sick and weak and dry to the bones. There were moments where he even said, just take my life, God. If what they're saying is actually true, then do away with me. Some examples are found in Psalm 7 and, and Psalm 54. So why should we hate slander? Because it destroys people's lives. It creates division in God's kingdom. And most of all, God hates it. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 says, The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. In other translation, it says community. James 3, 8 to 10 says, But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. It's sobering to think that we are accountable to every idle thing we speak of our neighbors, of our brothers, of our sisters in Christ. So what causes slander? The culprit is pride. We could argue that pride is the root of all sins. When we begin to think too highly of ourselves and don't allow reproof to, to form our hearts, when we refuse to listen to each other nor humble ourselves towards one another, pride has taken place. 1 Peter 5, 5-6 says this, In the same way, you who are younger be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. I am always fascinated by that line. Always, ever since I became a Christian. God resists the proud. Let's just think about it for one second. Sin, I often think sin in general is already a bad deterrent to the holiness of God. And yet pride is the one thing that is singled out that has the power to repel God from your life. Pride stops grace from entering into our lives. Pride renders us powerless. And there's so much to say. There's so much to say about the effects of pride. There's so many verses. I was like going through, I think I had to like delete like one whole page worth of verses. But the bottom line is this. We need to be vigilant against it. The thing about pride sometimes is we don't even know we have it. And that's scary. Don't allow it to take root in your life. Fight it at all costs. And if it means asking God to break us, to search our hearts, and as he reveals, oh, there's that ugly pride there. Break it, God. Break it. Take it away. Shake me, oh God. 
I'd rather be broken and humbled than to lose your presence, than to lose your working grace in my life. The pain is worth it. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Again, there's so many verses that (laughs) I pulled out about humility. But I just love that quote. It's really simple. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not degrading yourself. It's not false humility. But it's thinking about others, putting others first, putting God first. Verse 6. My eyes favor the faithful of the land so that they may sit down with me. The one who follows the way of integrity may serve me. The sixth characteristic is a heart with integrity is a heart that is faithful and willing to serve. David is looking for people who have the same heart as his, the same kind of heart that that's his, one that is faithful, one that relies on God, one that walks closely with God. These are the kind of people that he wants to do life with, that he wants to work with. David is highlighting an important principle of life here for all of us, that who we surround ourselves with matters. Proverbs 13.20 says, The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. And the one thing that I love about the standard of which David requires of people is he also requires that of himself. He doesn't ask the people to serve him to live up to a standard of which he doesn't live up to. You may have thought this thought about David along the same lines, especially having advantage of knowing his whole story of how he committed adultery and murder and all kinds of things. And you can even have this thought of, is David a hypocrite? (laughs) Is he naive? Is he (laughs) blind? (laughs) I would say no. Because a hypocrite is someone who places a different standard on others than on themselves. David, in all of his faults, in all of his shortcomings, never once let himself off the hook. He never once compromised the word of God and and twisted the truth to fit his own reality. He never ran away from God either, but he constantly ran towards God, sought after God, sought after his word and his counsel, and he was accountable to God, and he never hid from God. He had an open, real, and honest heart. He would bear his soul to God. And every time David humbled himself and turned his wicked ways and and asked for forgiveness, God was merciful and just to forgive him. Never once did David allow any relationship to come in between his relationship with God. Not even his own shortcomings. And this is why I believe that God calls him, David, a man after his own heart, despite everything that David's done, because David was real with God. I had a wonderful um, meeting with someone here at church, and I was talking to her and just opening my heart to her, having a heart of integrity, because I think every opportunity to just connect with people and go to that deep place is worth it. We don't have time for, you know, shallow talk 
There's an eternity waiting ahead for, for us. And I always say this. It's worth getting to know people deeply because we're going to be with them forever. So might as well start getting to know them now. We're going to eventually know each other in deeper and deeper ways as we begin to walk towards eternity, walk towards home. And I was just telling her, I was just opening and bearing my heart to her. And I was, I was telling her how I struggle. I struggle with the idea that this is the reality. These, these are the things that, that I'm facing and walking and the shortcomings that I have fallen in. And I struggle with that as, at the same time knowing that God is holy and his promises are true and his grace is working in our lives. And I was apologizing for myself and I was feeling shame. And she told me, what's, what's there to be shameful about? In your realness, God becomes real. He is real in our real. And I love that, that that spoke to me. That's like a tattoo in my heart now. That I have the confidence to be real with, one of, with you guys, with one another. I have the confidence to be real with God because in that reality of my fallen state, of my brokenness, his grace becomes real. His righteousness becomes real. His mercy becomes real. His forgiveness becomes real in my life. His love becomes real. And this is why God said, when it comes to his love, it is wide, it is long, it is deep, and it, it is high. And if we don't allow our hearts to just be open to the depths, to the lengths, inviting God into those dark places and saying, Holy Spirit, search my heart, we wouldn't have, we won't be able to experience the deep touching and calling into the deep. And so I just encourage people, I encourage all of us here, let us not be like the other characteristics we listed of being devious or wicked or hiding, but let us be open and honest and real and free because God has set us free. David was real with God. Verse 7. I'm very bad in transitions. I'm going to say it out loud. <laughs> I know that David's going to be like, You're, you should work on your transitions. Um, but I'm just like, point, point, point. Uh, okay, I just want to say this. I'm being real. <laughs> I love to joke. It comes naturally. But Dave is always like, you know, people are going to love you. You don't have to joke. You just need to be yourself. And so I'm like, okay, don't joke, but also be myself. But also, I'm so confused right now. <laughs> I love you, Pastor Dave. I honor, I honor you and I appreciate you. And yes, that's it. I'm just being real. It's just a confession there. I have freedom now. Hallelujah. <laughs> it only took us 30 minutes to get here. Gosh. All right. Verse 7. We're almost there, you guys. Thanks for riding with me on this journey. Verse 7. Verse 7. No one who acts deceitfully will live in my palace. The one who tells lies will not be retained here to guide me. The seventh characteristic is this, a heart with integrity, and this goes without saying, is a heart that loves truth and honesty. Relationships are built on trust. Dave wouldn't have, David, King David wouldn't have been able to do the work that he's called to as king if he were surrounded with people he could not trust. How would he have been able to administer justice justly if the people he relied on, the people within his own palace, were not being honest. Proverbs 12.22 says this, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Deceitfulness and lies speak directly 
of the enemy and his ways. 2 Thessalonians 2.3 says, Do not let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. It is not, I remember Dave talking about, I think this is a preaching on singleness, and he is talking about it's not just hating evil and then staying there. But do you hate evil and love truth and love justice and love honesty and love integrity? This leads me to the final characteristic. Verse 8 says, Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land, wiping out all evildoers from the Lord's city. The final and the eighth characteristic, a heart with integrity brings action against evil. David was judicially responsible as king over Jerusalem, the Lord's city, to deal with unrighteousness and evil in the land and execute justice. He vowed to stand against evil and take action against it. We know the Bible says the vengeance is of the Lord, but like David, we can still execute justice within our own world. We're still called to be active participants in establishing his kingdom here on earth. We're not called to be passive and wait for the day that Jesus arrives and eradicates everything. That day will come, but he calls us now today to be light in this dark world. He calls us now today to stand up against injustice, to to fight for the oppressed, to help the weary and the poor, to heal the sick. And I see that justice in Sedaris in all the different ways that we're working in the justice system, not just in law, but in medicine, even in tech, in all these other ways. We need to recognize that we have an influence to bring justice, to bring light, to bring the kingdom of God on earth today in our spheres of influence, in our homes, in our workplace, in our lives. We can stand, not just love truth, but fight against evil. We can stop slanderers from slandering. We can call out wickedness and stand with integrity, knowing that God The God that we serve, the God that we worship is a God of justice and mercy, and he sees and he knows. God calls us to rise up. Reading this psalm is like looking in a mirror for me. Sure, I can recognize all the ways that I can walk in integrity, but more than that, <laughs> I think we can all agree. We mostly see, or at least for me at least, we can mostly see all the ways we've fallen short. And I see that in David's life. His heart, his motive was pure. And we've seen all the ways that he's fallen. And we can lament <laughs> together in this reality. David and Ryan always um, says this word, that our nature 
is of depraved royalties, is that correct? I didn't go through this with you. <laughs> deposed, sorry, deposed royalties. That we are called to be prince and princess. We're called to rule and reign. Through Christ, we have been reestablished. But yet, we still fall short. But there is hope for us yet. Derek Kidner writes this. How far he, David, was to fall short of his own, of this in his own acts and in his appointments is told in 2 Samuel. But it was an inspired pattern, remaining to challenge him and his successors. The psalm is doubly moving, both for the ideals it discloses and for the shadow of failure which history throws across it. Happily, the last word is not with David, nor with his faithful historians, but with his son. There, there is no shadow. Alan Ross writes, What the psalm adds up to is a description of the ideal king. For none of the kings of Israel were able to live up to this. But as a royal psalm, the description also looks ahead to the ideal king who will reign with righteousness the promised Messiah. All the kings that have ever lived on this earth have failed this standard. All have fallen short to the glory of God. But as this psalm prophetically points to, there came a king, a son of David, who came and perfectly worshiped the Father. He embodied God's mercy and justice he was fully dependent on God in every way. He would say things like, I only go where the Father tells me to go. One who hated wickedness, not in just the outward manifestations of it, but he could see even the wickedness in the hearts of those who called themselves just, who called themselves holy, who called themselves representation of God, who were in places of authority, and he hated that wickedness that was within them. His heart was far from deviousness. It was open and honest and real, even in his struggles. He cries out, if you can, if you're willing, if this cup can be passed, but not my will, your will be done. A king that was slandered against but remained humble and meek and lonely, who came to serve and not to be served, whose eyes were always on those, the faithful ones, and he entrusted them to work with him, for him, for the work of his father. A king who not only walked the way, but who was the way, the truth, and the life. A king who in the end is the only one worthy to administer justice and destroy all wickedness and establish this kingdom on earth the kingdom that we hope for, the kingdom that is truth and peace and righteousness that abounds, the kingdom that has no evilness, no pride, no selfishness, no slandering, a kingdom that we all hope for today. And the only king of kings that was perfect in every way, our Lord of lords, our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the good news this is what the psalm points to, that there is a king 
that was perfect and conquered it all. He walked in perfect integrity inside and out, in his heart, in his home, in his world, in every single situation. And he endured all things to the cross, having not sinned. He was a perfect king of kings. And because he endured the punishment and paid that price, he restored us into our rightful relationship with the Heavenly Father. When he ascended to heaven after his resurrection from the grave, he didn't just abandon us here to fend for ourselves and say, all right, do what I just did. (laughs) He actually says we would do better, greater works than he did. That's crazy. How? By giving us this promise that whoever receives him as his king, Whoever receives him as as his Lord and Savior, he will be given the same exact spirit of which he walked in. That we would be given his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth that we just read leads us into all truth. And the moment we say, yes, be my king, reign in my life, we become born again, new citizens with a new nature and a new heart. In and of ourselves, the Bible says that we have a heart of stone that's hardened. It's hardened towards the things of God, towards the things of goodness. But the Spirit renews it. He turns our stony hearts into a heart of flesh that is soft and that can be molded, that is open and that is real and that is truly beating and alive. And yes, it feels more. It hurts more. It's more painful. It's more challenging. It gets offended easily. It builds walls easily. But when we come to God and say, search it, Lord. Tear down those walls. Heal those brokenness. Mend those wounds. Renew the spirit within me. We are like new again. And just like the last verse says, every morning he will get rid of the wickedness in the Lord's city. I'm stealing this from what Dave said to me. (laughs) We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are his palace. And every morning, his mercy is new. Amen? Every morning, there is a chance to try again. To walk again. To get up. To dust ourselves off. And say, I failed. I stumbled. I didn't speak Nicely to my husband, I said harsh words. I spoke of my boss behind his back. No kidding. (laughs) JK. (laughs) Um, But today, I choose to keep my eyes on you, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. I choose to walk in your ways. I choose to partner with you, Holy Spirit. And it's hard. But with God, all things are possible. There is hope for us yet, church. With God, it is possible to live a life with a heart of integrity and live according to his ways and experience life to the fullest. By his grace, through his spirit, and our part is to say yes, to partner, and to walk closely, never letting anything worthless come in between your relationship with him. When we stumble, be quick to repent. Come with a humble heart, and he is just 
to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I want to uh, read this last psalm in Psalm 51, 6 to 12. It's so beautiful. Actually, can we just read the whole psalm? This psalm was written... I just want to say this, though. Psalm 51 is a prayer of restoration, and it's written here for the choir director, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. Like, this was sung in, like, public. And so I just, I often have this imagination of, like, all right, we're going to church. Let's see what song we're going to sing today. And all of a sudden, as you're singing, you're like, and, oh, gosh, hallelujah. And he what? Oh, my God. Like, that's how open and integrous Dave was. We're just going to lead a psalm about how I overdrank and smoked weed last night or whatever, and about how God came this morning and gave me mercy and grace and forgiven me and set me free from condemnation. Are we ready, church? <laughs> Dave is way worse, like, wow. But I just want to read this as kind of a closing prayer here. And I want us to pay a special attention to six verses 6 to 12. It says here, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely, surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. I love that. Let the bones you have crushed even that, Lord, rejoice. Turn your, way, turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God. God of my salvation and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humble heart. In your good pleasure, cause Zion, the city of God, to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered to your altar. Let's pray.